following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Amen. 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 Labor Day. Boy, we've got so many holidays now. We're going to have more holidays and we're going to have normal days before Jesus comes back one day. That's amazing. But I love Labor Day. I'm off tomorrow. I'm off tomorrow. I'll be dining on burgers and hot dogs in my daughter and son-in-law's backyard. They're not coming to our house. We're going to theirs. We're going to mess their house up tomorrow. Everybody happy? You love Jesus? All right. It's a great day. It's a great day. Now, I don't have anything to say about yesterday except God bless Texas. I can brag on the Aggies. I can brag on the, even people that go to SMU. I can brag on Oklahoma. I can brag. We got Oklahoma. I can brag on. No, I can't brag on Texas Tech. They got beat. I can brag, I can, I can brag on Baylor. I can brag on TCU. All the Christian schools. Can't brag on no sinners over here on the 40 acres. They might need a little Jesus in them. Amen. Lord Jesus. I, let me tell you something. Don't get your hopes on those cowboys either, all right? You might ought, you might ought to root for the Houston Texans this year. They might be a little bit better than our Dallas Cowboys. I, I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried. I love Tom Landry, but he's dead and gone. And so we don't have him. And Jimmy Johnson is no longer around. He's, he's talking on Fox, so whatever. And so we're going to have to move forward with what we have so don't get your hopes up. If you're going to get hope in something, get your hope in Jesus. Stand to your feet, you're happy people. Stand up. We're glad to have all of our guests today watching online. Our church in Tulsa, we honor them today. They are growing, folks. The Tulsa church is growing. It's an amazing thing. They started with about, about this, this many, and they got this many now. It's just an honor to have a church, CLC Tulsa, that's doing well. And we honor them today. And we honor you. If you're a guest here today, we thank you for being here. We're quite honored that guests come. I always tell people you'll love our music, and you have to put up with me for about 25, 30 minutes. But what a joy to preach the gospel to you today. I, I, uh, I've chosen for a subject today uh, something that I feel very convicted of and something I want to talk about today. Now, Wednesday night, we're starting a brand new series called The Domino Theory. The Domino Theory, and, and it's, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great lesson, great lessons, and you'll be lifted by those lessons, and if you're not a part of Wednesday night service, you want to be a part of that. We have wonderful crowds here on Wednesday night, crowds that are even larger than this crowd right here on Wednesday night, fills this house, so you're not going to come and sit with two older ladies and maybe an old man over here that's asleep. You're going to, you're going to be in a thriving church on a Wednesday night right here at CLC. It's going to be fun. And then next Sunday, we're starting a brand new series on joy. We're going to talk about the book of Philippians, joy. We're going to talk about joy for the month of September, and it's going to be a great, great month. Aren't you glad that, you know, you know yesterday, guys, when I got up, I felt autumn for about 10 minutes, and it got hot. <laughs> but I felt a little autumn yesterday. You know what I'm saying? A little autumn. I felt it. I said, I feel it. Maybe it's because football season was starting. But, but I didn't feel it this morning. I didn't feel autumn this morning. 
But I, I felt autumn yesterday, and I'm, I feel like autumn's on its way. And a cold front's coming. In January, it's going to be just 95. <laughs> All right? All right. I've chosen, I've chosen to speak today on, on, on something that is a part of my life, and, uh, and, and it, it, I hope it helps you. I really do. I trust it helps you. It has, it's blessed me in my study, and it's blessed me in my, in my preparation, and it's blessed me in my life. I'm going to speak today on broken things in heaven, broken things in heaven. And with God's help, I'm going to teach this gospel to you today and talk to you from my heart. And may the Lord richly bless this word to you in the name of the Lord. You may be seated. God bless. In Michelangelo's last judgment, uh, it dominates the front wall of the Sistine Chapel. Here's a picture of it. It takes a moment for one to notice something unique about the painting. Specific saints in heaven are shown clinging to certain things. Andrew, Simon Peter, and Simon the Cyrene, each hold crosses. Bartholomew holds his flayed flesh. Catherine holds to a piece of broken wheel, and Lawrence clings to a piece of gridiron. Andrew and Simon Peter and Simon the Cyrene hold crosses because each were associated with crosses in death or in life. Bartholomew holds his flayed skin because he was thought to be skinned alive. Catherine holds to a piece of broken wheel because it was a wheel that was used to try to take her life. And Lawrence holds a piece of gridiron because upon it he was burned alive. You may remove the picture. Michelangelo's thinking seems to have been the same as an earlier Italian named Dante. In Dante's depiction of hell, he shows sinners being punished not just for their sins but by their sins. Various creatures chase thieves in hell who tried to steal their forms and turn them into ashes. Vain people were putting, put in unflattering situations and the lost in eternity were linked to the life that they had once lived. But in his last judgment, Michelangelo took a similar view of heaven. In heaven, though, a person doesn't cling to his sin. He clings to the device that pointed him to heaven. Maybe a cross, maybe a broken wheel or a broken gridiron. One reaches heaven, folks, by clinging to broken things, broken things. I remind you that when Jesus performed one of his greatest miracles of five loaves and two fishes, he took the five loaves and two fishes and he blessed it. Everybody say he blessed it. There's a lot of folks who want to bless life. But the next thing he did was break it. He broke it. And then he fed. It wasn't a blessed life that fed the multitudes. It was a blessed broken life that fed the multitudes. And even though what I'm about to preach was in heaven, but the, those weary sailors and passengers on an ill-fated voyage, it must have felt like heaven. In Acts 27, there's a story I want to read briefly from the scripture about a storm called Eurachlodon that wrecked a ship one day that Paul was on on his way to Rome. And when they had taken up the anchors, the book, the book says, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made towards shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground 
and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they should swim, that they who could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces, say broken pieces, of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Can I stop and just declare that heaven is beautiful? Can I tell you heaven's a beautiful place? We don't hear that a lot. But heaven's a beautiful place. I read a story about a little old boy that went to heaven. He came back and he said he saw Jesus. And I think I have the picture that he saw in heaven of a Jesus that he thought looked like the one I have in my office. I also read about a man in the New Testament that was carried to the third heaven and saw unspeakable sights about heaven. And then there was a man who was boiled in a pot of boiling oil at the place called Patmos. And he saw a vision of heaven, and it was an awesome, awesome thing for him to see, and he describes it in the book of Revelation. People who have seen it say it's gorgeous, foundations layered with precious stone and golden streets, I can't hardly imagine, pearly gates, walls of jasper, crystal sea, and an emerald rainbow round about the throne. Emerald was the tribal stone of Judah, and Judah means praise, so there was praise encompassing the throne of God. Heaven's not only going to look pretty, it's going to sound pretty because heaven's a beautiful place. Singing, but no sign. Rejoicing, but no weeping. In spite of its awesome beauty, God allows one thing to mar heaven, and that is broken things. Jesus said in the book of Mark chapter 9 that some would enter into heaven blind, others maimed, others halt, some would be withered. In fact, Jesus entered with scars in his hands and in his side. And those entering with broken things actually enhance heaven's beauty. Because there will be broken things in heaven. In Acts 27, there was a, a 14 days of a storm. There was no food. There was no sleep. The wind blew strong. Fear blew stronger still. 276 people clung to a storm-tossed ship in the Mediterranean. 275 were afraid. One had faith. 275 people prayed to the fickle gods of the moment. One trusting in the living God that's always going to be there for us. 275 people prepared to meet their end while one prepared for a new day ahead. Hallelujah. 275 wept and moaned while one danced with an angel on a storm-tossed deck. And a voice of faith cried out, be happy because I believe in God. Amen. Amen. Does anybody have a faith in God today? You may be on that ship right now. You may be in the storm of your life. But stand and hold the main mast and say, I still believe in God. Amen. What a joy. What did Paul believe? He believed that God had a purpose for his life and his life wasn't over. 
And although he might have been the poorest pastor on the ship bound for Rome, and one of just a few bound in chains, he knew that the risen Christ had spoken to him years before, and he knew that he would testify before Caesar. And the voice of faith cried out, I'm going to put it on the screen, stay with the ship. Say it with me, stay with the ship. Several sailors had prepared a life raft and thought to abandon ship in that storm. But Paul said, do it and your life will be lost. Stay with the ship. And for those who think to escape the storm, he said, stay with the ship. And for those who will try to go it alone, he said, stay with the ship. And for you who would lean on your own understanding, he said, stay with the ship. Somewhere in your life, you've got to determine in your heart, I will see this God thing through in my life. I will not be taken by the storm. I will be taken to heaven one day by the one who calms the storms in our life. Say amen to that. One person cried out that day, gain strength. A new day dawns. The fasting is over. The days of the wild see your past. Abandon your fear, draw nourishment. And Paul lifted up some bread even in the midst of the storm and gave thanks and ate it in front of them. I call it Thanksgiving in a typhoon. I call it communion in a cyclone. One person on that ship had faith and 275 people around him drew strength from his faith. The majority imitated the minority. I will declare that there's some faith holders in this house today. I will declare that there's somebody in every family that says, be not dismayed. God is still with us. He's still walking beside us. The storm may be tossing the boat. We may be, we may be moved by a rockladon, a strong wind, but I have faith in God and I'm going to be happy. I'm headed to my destiny. Amen. Come on, rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. They begin to eat and prepare themselves for the new day that was coming the next day. I want to say to you, determine in your heart to see God in all of your trials. Others will follow you. Heaven is on the horizon. Your trials are not for your demise. Your trials are for you to arise. Your trials are not for you to forget God. Your trials are for you to remember God. Your trials are not for you to say, I'm finished. Your, trial, your, your trials are meant to say, I'm going to finish. Amen. God Almighty, the day did dawn. Everybody say, the day dawned. The ship drew near shore and the strong current struck the storm-weakened ship. And the ship had crossed the Mediterranean, but it wouldn't cross the bar. And it began to break apart. And the strong swam to shore, but the rest, the rest, the rest. Some clinging to boards and some clinging to broken pieces of the ship floated their way to shore. What these people saw and what they imagined were two different things. See, they envisioned when they got on that, on that, on that port a long time ago, they envisioned themselves sailing to a harbor and people on the shore would wave and cheer. They saw themselves walking down the gangplank and greeting friends and loved ones and well-wishers. But, they, but here they were, wet and bedraggled. Here they were, soaked and fearful. Here they were, kicking and dog paddling and swimming, all the while clinging to broken pieces of the ship. 
May I make a statement to Christian Life Church on this Sunday morning? Getting to heaven isn't some Hollywood tearjerker. Going to heaven takes a combination of grit and grace. Does anybody have some grit in you today? Mama used to call it old-fashioned gumption. You got to get some gumption in you, son. I don't know what gumption is. But one day she hit me right here and said, it's right in there, son. Gumption's right in there. Thank you, Mama, for hitting me in the stomach. But I declare that if you're going to go to heaven, it's going to take the grace of God. But it's going to take some grit on your part. You've got to get a hold of this thing and not let go of it. Because heaven is for real and it's for the saints of the Lord. Amen. I want to give you three little old thoughts here. And then I'm going to close and pray for you and we're going to go home and eat hamburgers. I believe a person's life is revealed by what he or she grasps. I believe that. Look at, this, look at the screen. The Lord questioned to Moses from the burning bush was, what is in your hand? What's in your hand, Moses? And Moses said, a rod. That rod that Moses held would be pivotal for the rest of his life rest of his life. It was, it was transformed into a serpent in the wilderness and he held it up over a Red Sea and the waters parted for two and a half million is Israelites coming across the Red Sea on dry ground. It would smite a rock in the wilderness and water would gush forth to feed two and a half million and, and quench the thirst of two and a half million Jews. And he would raise it over Joshua and the fighters in the valley and they would prevail because the rod was in his hand. Everyone say this with me. It's on the screen. Say, my life is in my hands. What I grasp is what I am. Say it again. What I grasp is what I am. David held a sling. David also held a harp because he was not only a warrior, he was a worshiper. Sometimes you got a war in the spirit. Sometimes you have to worship in the spirit. What do you have a hold of today? His grasp determined his life. Everyone say this, my heart is in my hands. And our heart is revealed by the actions of our hands. I read a story about a good Samaritan. We didn't call him that when he first did his thing. Now we call him that. But a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho fell among thieves and they robbed him and stripped him and, and beat on him and left him dead. And a priest walked by and he saw him and moved on. A Levite, a helper of a priest, walked by and went over and looked at him and got close. A different word, different Greek word. He looked and he walked on by. But a Samaritan came. A Samaritan came. The outcast, the despised came. And he got off his beast of burden. And put some oil on him and some wine in him. And revived him and put him on his own beast of burden. And took him back to the Holiday Inn Express. And talked to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. I found him in a ditch. Take care of him. Hallelujah. And then he said, and the Bible said, on the morrow when he departed. I love that about the Samaritan. He waited till the sun came up on the man's life for him to ever depart. He didn't leave him in the midnight hour. I know a good Samaritan in our life that won't leave us in the midnight hour either. And he said, I'm going to give you two pence. 
and whatever you spend on him, when I come back, if it's more, I will repay you. That's the kind of man I want to pastor. That's the kind of woman I want to pastor. People who have their hearts in their hands. The life of Thomas Chalmers has always intrigued me. As a child of 11 years of age, he entered the University of St. Andrews to study mathematics. That's college, folks. At the age of 15, he began to study divinity. And as a Scottish minister, he believed that everything he did during the week could be and should be accomplished in two days. The spiritual stuff. The spiritual stuff. Sunday, Wednesday. The other five days, he devoted to thinking and studying and lecturing on mathematics. And all that changed when a severe illness struck him. And his well-ordered, systematic life no longer mattered. For his sickness, from his sickness forward, he became devoted to helping unfortunate people get back on their feet. And he wrote this in his memoirs. He said, live for something. Do good. And leave behind a monument of virtue. Which storms of time can never destroy. Write your name in kindness. Love and mercy on the hearts of those you come in contact with. And who will never, and you will never be forgotten. Good deeds will shine as brightly on earth as the stars of heaven. What he was saying is, folks, write your name. It's within your hand to do it. In fact, Paul prayed for us to lift up holy hands. Everybody say, holy hands. Holy. So what are holy hands? Holy hands are open and reaching, not clenched and threatening. Holy hands are not clinging to vices and sins of the world. Holy hands aren't so tightened that they can't help a brother. Holy hands are vulnerable, willing to be scarred and available to be nailed. The quality, indeed the destiny of your life is revealed by what you grasp. Would somebody open up your hands and help somebody today? Would somebody help somebody tomorrow? Would somebody help somebody this week? Come on, church. Let's just don't come and huddle on Sunday and not run the play on Monday. Let's go show somebody out there that Jesus is Lord of our lives. And we're going to help the broken because we know what brokenness is also. The second thing I want to talk about today is that if what you are is revealed by what you hold, I want, you to, I want to talk about eternal life must be grasped. Everybody say eternal life. Eternal. It has to be grasped. Picture Paul's fellow passengers. When the shores of safety became visible, they made for them, and everything else was secondary to making a safe pilgrimage to a fair haven of rest ashore. And the goal was waiting for someone to grasp it and reach it. As Olympians do every four years, they have visions of finishing and winning. Paul said we too should strive, not for a corruptible crown, but for the incorruptible crown of eternal life. Paul said you've got to grasp it. Everybody say grasp it. He said you have to reach for it. You have to seize it. Two times he told Timothy, lay hold on eternal life. He is saying, Timothy, you've got to get a hold of this thing called, called eternal life. Don't let it pass you by. I used to play racquetball when I was a young man before I realized that golfing was not nearly as punishing as racquetball was. I can get out of the way of a golf ball. You can't get out of the way of a racquetball when you're playing with Wild Willie. You can't get out of the way. He'll hit you. And normally he won't hit you where it doesn't hurt, where it doesn't hurt like on a shoulder. or, But he hits you right in the middle of the back or on the part that the shorts that you're wearing don't cover down there on that leg. 
and you'll have a bruise about this big for about three weeks and it hurts more than the bruise looks like it hurts and I remember I used to play with a guy it's so funny I used to play with a guy that that he 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 played he played in a pose in other words when he would warm up this is how he'd warm up now, now, now stay with me I know I'm on screen but stay with me he'd go It was like somebody was in the balcony <laughs> shooting a movie at him. I mean, every move, every stroke, because his idea was looking good was better than winning. <laughs> Can I tell you? Oh, scrub jockey got him a lot of times. Why? <laughs> That's the way some people live their lives. They worship God like is the is a, is a screen is a camera on me? Am I? Hallelujah, glory be to God. Hallelujah. Can I tell you that the apostle Paul didn't worship like that? He said, after a way they call heresy, so worship I my God. Get the cameras out of my life. Get Hollywood out of my life. I want to weep in His presence. I want to clap my hands in His presence. I want to worship Him like He matters to me. I want to praise Him like He counts in my life. I want to tell Him how great He is. Somebody help me preach right now. I want to tell Him He's the greatest thing ever happened to me. Come on. You've got to grasp eternal life. Get a hold of it. Get a hold of it. Say, I'm going to make heaven. Say it. I will not let go. See, making heaven is refusing to pick up a bad attitude. To do so is to let go of heaven. It's refusing to let hypocrites get you down. It's holding on to the real thing. It's refusing to hold grudges. It's refusing to hold bitterness and non-forgiveness. It's letting go of anything that weighs you down and the sin that does so easily beset you. It's holding on to things that are buoyant. It's clinging to eternal life. That's why the writer of Hebrews, Paul, said, Hold fast to the profession of your faith. Everybody say, let's get a grip on this thing called eternal life. In fact, Judas told the Roman soldiers when they went to capture Jesus in the garden, he said, when you get him, hold him fast. Hold him. Don't let him go. And he was telling that because he thought Jesus might run away from crucifixion. But Jesus endured the cross for you and me. He didn't run from his crucifixion. But what I see in that is when you get a hold of this Jesus principle, you get a hold of him and hold him fast. Come on. There's a lot of winds going to be blowing in the last days. There's a lot of winds. A lot, a lot of your rockladons are going to be blowing. But hold on to Jesus Christ. Come on. Hold on to eternal life. There's going to be broken things in heaven. And God is not going to take perfect people to heaven, but he's going to take us brokenness and all. Hallelujah. Come on. Clap your hands. Let's rejoice in that. We didn't come this far. We didn't come this far to lose out. You didn't come this far to allow the world's currents to take you away. You came this far to make it hang on. Life is revealed by your grasp. Get a grip on eternal life. Everybody say, we are known by what we grasp. So if we're going to grasp something, let's grasp eternal life. And I close today. Things may break, but you've got to keep on holding on.
twice the risen Christ said in Revelation, hold fast. He said, hold on. Get a grip on this thing and don't let go. See, everything in, in the most perfect man in the world besides Jesus Christ was Job. He was a perfect man. That meant he had a perfect spirit. He loved God and he eschewed evil. But everything went south on him. His family, his wife, his health, his wealth, everything. But you remember the question that his wife asked him? She said, are you still holding on to your integrity? Can I ask this congregation today in a world that's losing integrity, are we as a people still holding on to our integrity? That's a good question today. Do I still make the right turn? Do I still do the right thing? Do I still say the right words? Do I still honor the right God? Do I still believe that God is on my side? Do I still believe that there is a God? Is my integrity, am I an integer, am I a whole number, am I not fractured in my life? Do I have integrity in my life? As a pastor, I ask myself that every Monday morning. Let me preach now and I'm going to close. Do I have integrity? Is there integrity in my system? Is there integrity in my today? Do I have integrity? See, things may be broke down, but we got to keep holding on. Say, keep holding on. The ship might come apart, but we got to keep holding on. Come on, say it with me. Keep holding on. The marriage vows might be unraveling, but we've got to. The pressure might be getting to you, but we have to. The enemy might be coming like a flood, but we have to. The boss may not like you, but we have to. Your employees may not like you, but we have to. You may not like you, but we have to. <laughs> Come on. Come on, come on, come on. And the enemy asks this question to you continually. Are you still holding on? Why don't you just curse God and die? Just quit. may not have turned out the way I'd imagined. It might not look like I thought it would look. But I got something to tell you. The shore's in sight. Heaven's in my view, and I've come too far to let go of my grasp now. Every Sunday morning, I preach to broken people in this church, and I love your guppies. I love you all the way down on the inside. And if you don't like that, I'll just say I love your guts. That's even more stringent. But I love this church. But I know you have brokenness in your life. But can I tell you something? Broke things are going to be in heaven. Broke things are going to be there. I got a, I got a philosophy, and I'll share it with you in just a moment. I go to a prayer breakfast in San Marcos every other week. Randy, if you'll help me, I'd appreciate it. See, you don't have to put up with me long. I'm done. Don't leave. The, be the last part's the best. I go to a prayer breakfast in San Marcos every other Thursday, and this is the Thursday, and we got a guy that, a man that comes to our church, he's, he's become a member of this church since I started going to that prayer breakfast about two years ago. And several, several people come to the church from there. And it's great, guys. About 50 of us, we're in a backyard. We don't do it in a restaurant. We're in a backyard, and Terry cooks for us, and he's a great cook. He's an awesome cook. And we're back there in that backyard, and, and, and people just come. And I saw the 11th man on the moon, and I saw, I saw a man that was a captain of a ship. 
brilliant guy that spoke one day and then 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 this this one guy came first of the year he was a younger man and I could tell when he got up to speak that he was he was wounded I could see that his head had been scarred and I could see that his eye was not working right on his left side and he told a story his name was Chris Carrier you can look him up you can google him and as a kid he lived in Coral Gables Florida and he told his story that day when he was only 10 years old, he got off the bus one day at the end of a school year. Someone abducted him. Someone kidnapped him. His kidnapper held a grudge against Chris's family. and He took the boy out in the Everglades of Florida. And he burned him with cigarettes daily. He stabbed him numerous times with an ice pick, a 10-year-old boy, and finally shot him in the head and left him to die there in the Everglades. But somehow, and I know it's true because I, I saw the evidence, somehow, remarkably, Chris survived. And law enforcement never arrested anyone for the crime. But a few years ago, a man confessed to that crime. And Chris, who was then a youth minister, went to the place where the man was to see the offender, David McAllister, who was then 77 years old, an ex-convict, and who was frail and blind and living in a Miami Beach nursing home. And Chris went to see him, and something happened to Chris's heart. Wounded, broken, stabbed. Something happened. Chris fell in love with the man's lostness. And didn't want him to die lost. So he brought his Bible the second visit and started reading to Mr. McAllister the Word of God. The statute of limitations had run out on the crime, and so authorities did not arrest him. But Chris did something that I gotta share with you today. Chris forgave him. Chris forgave him. When he got through talking that day, I I went up to him and I, I hugged his neck and I said, man, you're big. You're big. He said, no, no, I'm not, sir. He said, the God I serve is, though. And it hit me. I doubt Chris will ever be healed of that eye, those eye spick wounds, and that gunshot to the head. I doubt he'll ever be healed. But broken things are going to be in heaven. Chris' words were this, while many people can't understand how I could forgive David McAllister, from my point of view, I could not forgive him. If I had chosen to hate him all these years or spent my life looking for revenge, that I wouldn't be the man I am today, the man my wife and my children love, and the man God has helped me to be. See, Chris viewed who he was as inseparable from that broken time in his life. Most would cling to this event and refuse to forgive, and they would carry those things to hell. Others will forgive, and with that broken thing, they'll walk in to heaven's gates. 
eternal destiny, folks, is found in what you're grasping. Now let me close. Paul said, I bear in my body the marks. You can read about his marks in the book of Romans. He had a bunch of them. He was beaten a whole lot. He was cast in the sea. He had hunger. He had only dependence on God. Everybody forsook him. But there's broken things in heaven. I've often said this, and I live by this. Some mountains can be cast into the sea. You can say, get out of my way. But some mountains have to be climbed. You have to climb some. And there's a lot of people that are not willing to be a mountain climber. Because it takes a lot to climb some mountains. It takes a whole lot to climb mountains. I'll tell you what it does take. It takes a team to climb a mountain. you got a team here to help you climb the mountain. This church is a life group like no other church. It's a life group to your soul. When I came to this church in 1990, I had brokenness. It still resides in some facet in my life from time to time. I preached to broken people on Sunday morning. I preach to people, people that are fighting avarice. They're fighting all kinds of chemical dependency. I preach to people that are fighting for their marriage. I preach to people that are hurting with their kids. I preach to them because I love you. And on this Labor Day, I'm laboring for you. My passion, my heart's here. I didn't come just to preach something to let you go home. I came to move you, to tell you, get a hold of eternal life. And don't let it go. Don't let it go. Come hell or high water. Come Eurocladon. Come, come all kinds of hurricanes and typhoons. Hang on to eternal life. Don't let it go. Don't let it go. See, I've got this concept, and I'll close with this. i got this concept. When John saw Jesus in the book of Revelation, he still saw his scars in his hand his side. So Jesus is scarred in heaven. He's scarred. We're going to see him. We're going to know it's him by those scars. I believe with all my heart when we step through those gates I believe this this is just my thinking you don't have to agree with it I can't prove it by the Bible it's just my thinking I've been doing this 48 years and I just thought this out here's my thinking I think we're going to walk through with the things that took us there the things that made us depend on him to get us there and once we get inside, the Bible said there's going to be 30 minutes silence of heaven in heaven. And I think that a lot of preachers have preached, people are going to say, wow, I can't believe you're here. But then you've got to point your finger at yourself. I can't believe I'm here. That's not it. That's not it at all. I think what's going to happen is there's going to be one great healing campaign from the Lamb sitting on the throne. Because the Bible said He's going to wipe every tear from our eye. Something's got to happen for us to go to weeping on the other side of the rainbow. Something's got to happen. i tell you what's going to happen. All those broken things are going to be healed.
If he could take Ezekiel's boneyard in 37 and make a mighty army, he could put the healing in my life. He could put the healing in my spirit. He could put the healing in my mind. He could take my COPD. He could take all this bad breathing. He could take my mental fatigue. He could take all that stuff and make it come together in one beautiful, glorious, healing word. Be healed. Welcome to the presence of and broken things will be healed. Would you stand all over the house? I love you very much. I love you very much. I love you very much. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. I want you to do me a favor. I'm going to pray for you. I want to ask God to do something very special for you. But I'm going to ask those that need something special to raise your hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, close your eyes and bow your head. Nobody looking except Pastor and Jesus. Amen. I want you to raise your hand if you want me to pray for you today. All right. All right. I see it. I see it. I see it. God, these hands are so passive. They're so beautiful. It's an awesome display of people just reaching out. You're reaching. You're reaching for something. Now keep your hands up. Everybody else in the building, raise your hands with them now so everybody will feel like they're a part of this thing. Come on, raise your hands. Dear Father, you see our hands. We're reaching up. We're reaching out for you. We believe, God, that you are you are the God that can fix the impossible. You're the God that can heal the brokenhearted. You're the God that can set the captive free. You're the God, Lord, that can touch us in our own mind, in our heart. You can heal us. You can bring healing to our minds and healing to our bodies and healing to our spirits. You can do that, God. And so we reach out to you. Come on, reach out to him. We reach out to you today. And we believe that you're doing something right now because our reach is towards you. Our reach is not toward the world. It's towards you today. And let us reach higher than we've ever reached in our life and claim greater blessings than we've ever claimed in our life. But God, we know that there's some areas in our hearts that are broken. There's some areas in our lives that are broken. And those things will probably be the thing that takes us to the world called glory. It'll take us to heaven. And one day we'll be healed of these broken things. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, bless the congregation on this beautiful day. And let us have a glorious, glorious Sunday and a blessed Monday, Lord. Let us enjoy Monday. Thank you for all the guests that are here. Thank you for all the people that call this church home. I bless them in the name of the Lord. Bring us back on Wednesday night to hear the domino effect. The next Sunday to hear about joy. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen. Say amen. Say amen.